0: Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jordan's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Levy, the founder and CEO of listed EdTech business Family Zone. Great, let's
1: take a go.
0: <laughs> great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> now, nobody wants to hear more about myself, but I am very keen to share more about Family Zone, a business I came across when we were looking at a few others in the space. You are listed, unlike some of the others that we often have on here and well established, but I feel as though it's a story which I hadn't come across as often as I could have. So I'm keen to learn more. So turning it over to you, let's go through some of the origins of Family Zone. Yeah,
1: great. Thank you. The idea came to us actually in 2014, uh, and the idea was born out of our experience as parents. I so it's a cliche, but there was a group of dads, tech-oriented dads who were really struggling with their kids' addiction to devices. And we looked to the market, and there was no natural solution for parental controls. Um, we've all got telco backgrounds, actually, and so our idea was, gee, wouldn't it be good if the internet kind of operated like mobile phone networks where wherever you go in the world, the GSM networks know who you are and what services are applicable. And, well, shouldn't the internet work like that for our kids and for parents? And so the idea was that we build that sort of technology, the ability to deploy filtering or printer control technology everywhere in schools, in homes, cafes, mobile devices, you name it. So that idea came just in 2014. We begged, borrowed and steal, stole money from family and friends um, to get the thing up and running. And in 2016, we ran out of money and uh, went to the capital markets when did an IPO at the end of 2016.
0: Very interesting. And that's where we got involved, (laughs) looking at it. Um, And then tell us, if you think about what is that problem? You said kids on devices so much, but I feel like you've gone through a bit more of an evolution. So is that still the same problem that you're solving today?
1: people often think about parental controls as simply blocking pornography. And look, that is a pretty big issue, certainly in schools with legal obligations and for parents, it's a very worrying thing.
0: Um, but
1: it's way more than that. If you think about it, you're giving a device to your child and often they're in their room and a window into some really unsafe pathways and to some bad actors. And if you look at, you know, like for instance, TikTok, the algorithms in an application like that are extraordinary at identifying the proclivities of an individual and seeding you with other risky pathways that you can go down. So look, there's this broader mental health and addiction compulsion aspect to this sort of technology as well. So, look, it's incredibly broad, and, you know, we always knew that those concerns would be significant and metastasize. We always punted, you know, we had a um, an expectation that schools would be willing to kind of talk to parents about online safety outside of school because we saw that they would be impacted by outside of school activity with their job, which is to keep kids safe and develop learning or deliver learning. So that was the idea in 2014 to 2016, bring a broad suite of technology to market, really with the idea that we can support all those custodians of the child in an interoperable way on a single platform. So to go to your original question, I know it's a long-winded answer, but nothing's really changed in our idea, which is, again, that we can deploy technology that all the custodians of the child can use to to do their job. Our route to getting that to market, very much so. That's been Pivot Central.
0: And how do you price this model? And I know perhaps you've got a few different customers sets as well into the pricing model.
1: Yeah. Let me focus on the US, which is, I think, the easiest to understand. and It's the market that appeals most to investors. And I'll run you through our pricing model as we really talk to customers about. And it really starts with specific compliance that legal obligation schools have to keep kids protected on their networks or school devices. That usually starts with an appliance, like a server. Think about like a rack-mounted server that sits in the school's data centre. We also deploy software, what's called an application or an agent onto the student devices, and we do that under a product set that we call school manager or or filter. Pricing for filtering in, in the US is at the middle market where we sit, anywhere between $2.50 and $3.50 per student per year, US dollars. In the big end of town, we're talking LA Unified with 1.1 million students who probably, you know, maybe getting 50, 60 cents per student per year. You can still make money at that level, but we focus, we really want to focus on a solution-oriented sale, which is the school districts between kind of 4,000 and maybe 60 or 70,000 students. These are big enterprises, but we can make healthy margins there. We then have additional layers of products, classroom management, student engagement and check-in type systems, safeguarding systems that do key logging and device scanning to look for kids that are being bullied or at risk of bringing a gun to school. Each of those products typically are priced about the same, somewhere between 250 and 350 And So if you stack up all of our products in the US market today, you've probably got an RRP of in the range of twelve fifty to seventeen fifty per student per year, and our cost to deliver that service, really no matter what product that they they buy, our cost to deliver that service is 60 or 80 cents per student per year. So it's very healthy margins. And increasingly, and I know you're gonna ask me about this about you know, increasing prices <laughs> and cross-sells and upsells.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: in the US, we're getting net revenue retention of 135%. So for every renewal opportunity where after factoring in churn, we're adding another 35% of margin to that business. So Yeah, we're seeing a very constant and predictable growth in our average revenue per student and our margins. It's actually really remarkable and one of those things that frustrates me that the Australian tech investors don't understand about SaaS businesses.
0: That's why we're here. (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Great business for me. I'm curious as well... If you're able to disclose the customers or the number of pupils, whichever metric that you look at now, of how many more there are of the market, which you just identified then, and what's that historical growth rate been? And looking forward, do you kind of think about that accelerating or plateauing? I know it's a larger base often that makes it harder, but keen to get any thoughts that you can give on that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, look, I've just concentrated this conversation on the education part of our business, but remember, at the end of every school device is a child, and we do have a print control offering for those, the parents as well. In terms of the TAM, in the US, there's 60 million students. In the UK, there's 10 or 12 million students. Throughout the world, obviously, there's you know, hundreds of millions. At the moment, we're really concentrating on the English-speaking markets. So that will change probably by the end of next year, with Spain being a likely focus area. In the US, we went from zero students in 2018 when we launched there to now about 18% of school districts in the US use our product, which is amazing growth. And effectively, all of that was organic. So look, how we've been growing at around about 100% year on year for the last two or three years. Can that be sustained? I mean, I think our organic new business growth, we should be targeting 20 25% our net revenue retention across our business, we should be targeting that again. Now, that's our target. There's some idiosyncrasies in our products and our markets. In the US, it's all guns blazing, incredible growth. We're significant, but we're not dominant in that market yet, but that's coming. I think within the next couple of years, we'll be the biggest player. And that's a combination of new business growth and net revenue retention or existing customer growth. In the UK we're bringing together a suite of products. So they don't have all of our products in the UK market yet. So our organic growth is modest and our net revenue retention is in the order of 10 to 15%.
0: Once we bring all of
1: our portfolio products to the UK market, I think we can grow swiftly. There is a bit of a cap in both markets though. In the UK, we probably only could really address 60% of that market because Greater London is controlled by a big price-based competitor of ours. And in the US, it's probably 80% we can address. There'd be 20% of schools that are just too small for us to really economically service. And and then these big mega districts that are not yet things that we want to target. But then in Australia, we've got a small practice, which is really focused on private schools. I think we've got 130, 140 private schools here we trial technology with. And, and New Zealand, I think we've got about 25% of New Zealand schools using our platforms.
0: Very interesting. And do you have anything around what the industry is doing, I appreciate that's your growth and some of the growth rates are there. And and what's driving some of that industry growth?
1: A lot. It's fascinating, Mm. yeah. (laughs) So you've got obviously the core legal obligation to filter, which is in the US it's called SIPA and in the UK it's called Kixi. The regulations around that are only going one way. It's just much like financial regulation, which is impacting you you guys. Uh, Things are getting harder, more precise regulation, in the UK, for instance, recently, they changed the requirement for UK schools to no longer deal with incidents of toxicity. What I mean by toxicity, radicalisation or bullying or you know, sexualisation or whatever. In the past, schools and like this in Australia can assume it doesn't happen, but when they see it, they have to act. Kixie regulations in the UK were changed and now they have to assume it's happening and go look for it. So things like that are constantly happening and that requires technical intervention, which is where our product sets come in. You've also got similar requirements around you know, data privacy and sharing and consent are things that schools cannot do without technology like what we do. So schools have been compelled through increasing regulation to actually do the stuff that we do. That's one thing. The other thing is um, it's, it's outrageously large, particularly in the US, is the investments in mental health, which have really been spurred by kids coming back to school and um the school's now being witness to the mental health issues that have happened during the COVID years, but also increasing your visibility of things like uh, the Uvalde shooting where kids bring guns to school. So that's sparing governments, I guess, to put more and more money. So in the UK, for instance, the Biden administration are putting about 140 billion US in investment into mental health programs facilitated through schools and school districts. Almost Any amount of money is available for school districts in the US to handle these complex challenges. And our technology deals with that. We don't just support prevention, which is filtering technology, we actually support intervention. Our technology, in fact, I saw this stat yesterday, it's quite quite amazing. We literally save a child's life every three hours. Our technology is literally witnessing a child putting themselves or someone else in harm's way every three hours, and we we intervene through the school, school counsellors or the police. So, yeah, we're right in that, right in that hot zone of things that are concerning schools, impacting school outcomes and are of real interest to governments.
0: Yeah, certainly a few industry drivers at play there, as you, as you mentioned. Um, you also mentioned earlier about the organic growth that you're having within the business. What is the go-to-market sales model that you have for existing and or new business?
1: Sure. Our education business is almost all channel-driven, which is incredibly efficient. So we're paying an average commission in yeah. the order of, let's say it's 10%. It's not 10%, but it's not far off. And so that's the cost of the channel bringing us deals. In the US, most of the deals come from the channel. The channel is big tech resellers like Datacom and Howard and, and many others. They work with the school district, the heads of IT, the heads of learning, who have legal obligations to go through a procurement process at the end of their vendor contracts. And then they do these dog and pony shows. And our real job is to work with the channel to get involved in those opportunities. We do these pitches, it's all virtual. We never get, we never have to visit a school. So we do these online pitches, we demo our product, they're usually astounded. We then go to POC's proof of concepts and we, we typically win around about 85 to 90 percent of the proof of concepts. So when people see our product and the breadth of things that we do and our proposition, they are usually quite amazed. And remember, we are never selling greenfields, but always selling against incumbent. So we have to prove the efficacy of our product outweighs the cost of transition. So that's our go-to-market model. All channel led, we feed the channels a lot. We go out of our way to provide great experiences to customers. So that repeat business is key for us. As I said before, renewals is really strong for us. Our churn is less than 4% per year. And most renewals, we're getting more than you know 30%. To 40% growth in the renewal value because of just cpi price increases across upsells. now in our consumer business the way that we sell consumers is we've got i think it's about 18 million dollars of revenue ARR revenue from direct sales to consumers through app stores and affiliate sales online and so on and then recently we've launched selling b2b2c so getting the school districts in the us schools in australia mats in the uk promoting our consumer product which is called custodio to those parents so we're just launching into this B2B2C using the influence of the school, who are quite influential, as you can imagine, with, with the choices that are made at home, getting them to endorse that this technology we use at school, why don't you use it at home? Incidentally, we've been trialling those sorts of techniques in Australia with a precursor product called FamilyZone with amazing success. Well, we've got 70,000 Australian families using our product We've got 130,000 students. I mean, that, that is outrageous level of penetration. So we're just now launching that in the US this custodial product so far a few weeks in we're getting kind of 20 to 30 percent of parents taking up the product within a week that's not the paid product to be clear we offer a free kind of lightly featured product set as part of the school's proposition but again that take up getting 20 percent of parents using the parental control product adjacent to the school's platform is amazing it really is and so, you know, now we start working with those communities to try and upgrade them to the premium product control product, which is in the order of $100 Australian per year, per account. To put that in context, we've got, you know, I think 13 million students on our school platforms. If we could hit 20% of those parents, right, while we're we talking there, 3 million kids. You know, if we can get 10% of those 3 million kids, 300,000 parents, which is what Custodia are achieving with their sell-throughs, in fact, they're doing a bit better than that, you're talking $30 million of, of ARR that drops to the bottom line. There's almost no cost to deliver that service. So we're in that phase now. It's really, really exciting. And, again, the performance of our family zone product in Australia is way better than the numbers I just described there.
0: Very interesting. Now I'm going to ask the question around competitive landscape who are your competitors, and how are you differentiating when you are running up against them?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll focus on the education products. Our key competitors in the US, really in the English-speaking world, is uh, Go Guardian. These are names you wouldn't know, right? These are names that are really focused on. That's the um, goal. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah. They're, they're the names that focus on uh, specializing in school safety. Go Guardian. They'd be probably twice our size. They provide some safety technology, but they do a lot of learning technology as well in the classroom. So we're we're competitors in a sense, but we have more overlap than compete. Lightspeed Systems are probably ten to fifteen percent bigger than us. They're very aggressive sales organization. All these groups are PE backed. Securely probably the next biggest. We're a bit bigger than them. And I think Content Keeper and Piro, which is a collaboration, I think we're probably a little bit bigger than them as well. There's a five and we're the third in that group. And I think, I think within the next year or two, we'll be the second biggest.
0: And how easy is it? If I want to go and start this, how easy do you think it is from a technology standpoint and then a sell-through?
1: My first piece of advice would be don't do it. <laughs> uh, I had brown hair when I started this business. <laughs> That's any um,
0: business.
1: Find <laughs> a business that doesn't require staff or customers. That's my tip. <laughs>
0: people. <laughs> yeah. Don't deal with people.
1: <laughs> uh, look, it's the barriers to entry are big and only getting bigger, I think. And look, you're seeing it across tech. It's this vertical integration. If you are just a feature, if you're just selling it, you know, if you're just a tom tom you don't have a business anymore. You've got to be like a Life360 that's got great location services and then you're extending it into other services that affect the home. In fact, us, Lightspeed Systems, GoGuardian, securely all see that same challenge or opportunity, which is you need to build out your portfolio of products, really focus on cross and upsell, increase your stickiness. In fact, you see that that t- talked about in SaaS businesses all the time now, that the, kind of, the new focus is NRR 150, right? Think of companies like HubSpot. Almost all of their growth now is from existing customers, Um, you know, as you get mature, as you get penetration in your market. So because of that integration, because of the scale, I think entering this market is incredibly difficult now.
0: That's good for you, not good for other future founders. Absolutely.
1: <laughs>
0: and I know that sounds like you just got so much going on and so many areas of growth, but if you had to think about where for the next 12 months investors should be thinking, what are the key buckets of growth?
1: Yeah. So US, huge opportunity, big market, growth of the last year or two, the market should continue. UK growing a kind of core businesses are filtering that's probably going to slow down a little bit as we're integrating our other product sets. But we've got some new products coming to that market around wellbeing and education that I think will mean that the UK outperforms. I think they'll grow our UK business will grow stronger next year than it has in the last year. Australia and New Zealand is small. I think at the end of next year, we're hoping to start entering some Western European markets. And then, of course, the custodial business, which is now starting to be sold through all of our education channels, I think that's something to, to really keep an eye on. I think that could be massive. The way I think about this business maybe is to put it in this perspective, we've got about $60 million of filtering revenue, basically filtering and classroom management revenue. I think that will grow really quickly, that revenue, in the order of 20 to 30% year on year. But I think the wellbeing, the mental health type products that I was talking about before, I think that will surpass filtering as a revenue stream for us within three years. So that could mean, you know, 50 to 100% year-in-year growth as we build up these products and build out these product sets. And then you've got the and control product custodial. I just think that's a massive opportunity. I think that could be, you know, the same amount of revenue again as we penetrate these, these school districts in the coming years. Yeah, so core products strong growth potential as we compete and win in our core markets and into new markets, well-being, safeguarding, mental health-oriented products, massive untapped opportunities and parental controls. We've got the best product with access to millions and millions and millions of kids. So, yeah, the growth, if I can pull it all together, for 23 for us is really pulling all that together in a cohesive way and get the go-to-market right, and then this is going to be a rocket ship.
0: Sounds like there's a lot to do in there. So I'm not going to take any more of your time. But again, if anybody that is listening in is keen to hear anything more on Family Zone, please feel free to reach out to myself, Elise Kennedy at Group, to come to you. But we've also got Tim Levy, who is also more than happy to have you reach out as well. So thank you once again for your time. I look forward to watching the next updates. Thanks, Elise.